Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about what Neanderthal genes might be doing in your DNA, the person who invented Do-Re-Mi notation, also known as Solfege, and that time photosynthesis killed off 99% of life on Earth. Let's satisfy 99% of your curiosity. Before you go calling someone a Neanderthal, you might want to take a look at your own DNA. You may find that you have more Neanderthal in you than you'd think. That's because about 50,000 years ago, our ancestors actually mated with the other ancient hominins. And this was no casual fling. Our species were interbreeding enough that pieces of Neanderthal DNA still exist in some people's genomes today. Scientists discovered evidence of human-Neanderthal relations shortly after they first sequenced the Neanderthal genome in 2010. They found that modern humans of Eurasian descent could trace about 2% of their DNA back to Neanderthal origins. Since this discovery, scientists have been trying to understand how much the gene variants we've inherited from Neanderthals affect who we are today. They haven't found any variants that have a unique effect the way they have with many human genes. But they have been able to identify some associations between Neanderthal DNA sequences and the expression of certain characteristics. By studying the genomes of more than 100,000 modern British people, scientists found that people with Neanderthal ancestry were paler and more likely to get sunburned. It's unclear how this gene variant was helpful for ancient humans, but we do know that Neanderthals were well adapted for cold weather. They had short, stocky builds and wide noses, so they probably weren't getting too much sun. The same study also found an association between Neanderthal gene variants and characteristics related to mood, like loneliness and low enthusiasm. These findings line up with an earlier study linking Neanderthal variants to a higher risk for depression and addiction. It's possible that the genetic predispositions that would make someone depressed in a modern environment were somehow beneficial to humans in an ancient environment. Other aspects of Neanderthal DNA have more obvious advantages. A recent study at the University of Arizona found that one-third of beneficial Neanderthal gene variants have to do with how the immune system responds to viruses. The Neanderthals had built up immunity to their local diseases for a few millennia before our ancestors arrived in Eurasia. Once Neanderthals and humans, uh, got to know each other, they passed that immunological advantage onto their offspring. So, thanks to adaptation, natural selection, and some not-so-picky mating preferences, ancient humans inherited a number of Neanderthal characteristics that are still reflected in some people's genes today. Have you ever heard of solfege? Scratch that, you have. You just might know it better as do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. It's a musical system where every note is given its own syllable. But who in the world came up with those syllables? Well, it wasn't Julie Andrews, Sound of Music fans, I'll tell you that much. Let me introduce you to Guido D'Arezzo. Guido D'Arezzo was an 11th century Benedictine monk who needed an easy way to memorize hymns. See, there was no such thing as written music back then. If you were a choir boy in a monastery, you'd have to learn every hymn by following along with your conductor as he played each note one by one. And then you'd have to remember that exact hymn for years, even as you memorized more musical pieces. And if you didn't perform a hymn for a while, well, good luck remembering it. 
As a result, it could take you 10 years to learn all the hymns you needed to know to become a choir singer. It was less than ideal. Guido D'Arezzo was in charge of training the singers at the city's cathedral school. At his last monastery, he was exposed to an early form of musical notation. He spent his time at this new job building on it, eventually developing a four-line method of writing music that's similar to what we still use today. But singers still needed to learn how to sight-read this new music. So, Guido looked for some verbal reminder he could use to help the singers remember the pitch of each note. And there was a hymn called Utkeant Laxis that fit the bill. Every line of the hymn starts one pitch higher than the last, making it sort of a mnemonic device. Guido just placed the first syllable of each line of the hymn on every pitch of the musical scale, which had just six notes at the time. The result was the following, Ut, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La. Over time, the scale evolved and the syllables were tweaked to be more musical and easy to remember. Eventually, it turned into the Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do that we know today. Music students everywhere, thank you, Guido. You're such a ray, a drop of golden sun. I mean, maybe not to all music students. I don't know. Actually, let's talk about this later. Yeah. Plants are great, aren't they? They basically give us every bit of air we breathe, bite of food we take, and lush green landscape we post to Instagram. That's all thanks to photosynthesis, the method they use to turn sunlight, water, and CO2 into oxygen and energy. But photosynthesis hasn't always been the good guy. It has a dark past. Like, I don't know, that one time it wiped out most of the life on Earth? <laughs> Let me tell you about the great oxygenation event. If you traveled 2.5 billion years back in time, Earth would appear to be devoid of life. But the oceans would actually be swimming with it. The entire population of our planet at the time consisted of microbial organisms. There was no oxygen, but those microbes didn't mind. They were anaerobic, which means they metabolized their food without oxygen. Things went on this way for 1.4 billion years. Life was good. Then some of those microbes evolved the ability to perform photosynthesis. These were the cyanobacteria, sometimes called blue-green algae. Those colors have a purpose. Blue is the color of phycocyanin, which helps absorb light, and green is the color of chlorophyll, which can both absorb and harvest energy from light. One byproduct of photosynthesis is oxygen, and these first photosynthetic bacteria released a lot of it. This was a very bad thing for the rest of life on Earth. That's because oxygen is really reactive. That's why it oxidizes metal and fuels fires. Long story short, it was toxic for anaerobic bacteria at the time, and they began dying off anywhere oxygen became common. Oh, but that wasn't the end of it. This set off a chain reaction of mass extinction. See, methane was an incredibly common gas at the time, and when it reacted with the oxygen, it flooded the atmosphere with CO2. Because methane is a more potent greenhouse gas than CO2, atmospheric temperatures cooled. This led to a massive glaciation event that wiped out a ton of life, including a lot of the cyanobacteria that caused this mess in the first place. The Great Oxygenation Event ended up being the first of Earth's five mass extinctions. All that from a little photosynthesis. Still, life continued, just a little differently. 
microbes that could use oxygen became much more common in the new oxygen-rich atmosphere and eventually gave rise to the oxygen-dependent life we have today. The lesson here? Don't underestimate plants. They'll wipe out life on Earth in a second and not even apologize for it. I guess you could call them a savage garden. <laughs> Let's recap what we learned today, starting with the fact that you might have Neanderthal genes, because our ancestors apparently weren't too picky about mating with them. Ancient humans would swipe right on anything. <laughs> and we learned that music students can thank an 11th century monk named Guido D'Arezzo for inventing solfege, also known as the Do-Re-Mi notation system. And I know Cody and I have both been through college music classes <laughs> and probably have a lot of strong feelings about solfege. I know I personally do not want to go back to that time when I had to sight sing melodies that I saw on paper. But weren't you good at that part? I mean, I was better at that part than I was at like the regular music theory classes, which if you're not familiar, it's basically like math class for, for musicians where you have to like write down chords and like learn about how harmony works. That was way tougher for me to like wrap my head around than the ear training classes. But my goodness, I just all of it, all of it was very tough. See, the ear training was a bright spot for me. And yeah, like Ashley said, there's music theory, which is the math part, which I may or may not have failed several times, which is why I didn't get a double major in journalism and music. And then there's the sight singing and transcription part where they'll either play a melody for you and then you write it down just from hearing it. Or you look at music on paper and you just have to sing it on site. And anecdotally, but in my experience, people who were really good at one were often pretty bad at the other. Like I had a friend that crushed music theory, but he could not sing his way out of a paper bag. Whereas I uh, was the opposite. Yeah, I'm with you. I was definitely better at the singing part than the, the writing part. Absolutely. Do not underestimate music majors. If somebody told you they got a major in music and they were able to pass music theory, like it's hard. People think music major is just you play an instrument. No, no, there's hard classes. I would definitely recommend that you hire music majors and pay them a lot of money. That's what I think for any job. I think that you, I totally agree. Huh. And we also learned that a long time ago, some cyanobacteria evolved the ability to perform photosynthesis, which produced oxygen, which was toxic to most of the life on Earth. And that triggered a massive glaciation event that wiped out even more life on Earth. Man, don't want to mess with plants. Yep. As they say, the dose makes the poison. And if you don't deal well with oxygen and there's a whole lot of oxygen in the air, you're going to have a bad time. I thought the dose were deer, a female deer. Oh, geez. That was that was really good, Cody. Good job. Thank you. I know I know I, that was a bit of a stretch. You could say it was fa, a long, long way to run. <laughs> we got to end this episode quick. Yep, we're good here. Today's stories were written by Andrea Michelson, Ruben Westmiss, and Cameron Duke, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 